This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 89 of the DeFacto Leaders podcast. So I made the announcement in the last episode that we are changing the name from Are They 18 Yet to DeFacto Leaders. The reason that we're doing this is because over the last year, I've really shifted the focus of the show. Originally, we were focused on providing resources for parents and professionals, but really the focus has been more on leadership, helping clinicians who are working with K-12 kids to be better leaders, both in their facilities and their communities. So I think all the original episodes that we had under the old name are still very relevant because if you are going to be a good leader, if you are going to focus on helping kids, we do need to think about it from all angles, including the angle of helping parents. And so that's why I'm keeping all of the older episodes live for you, but we will be shifting the focus to really emphasize how you can be a good leader if you are a clinician who is working with school-age kids. I will be mentioning throughout the show some of my resources where you can learn more and get more support if you are a therapist who wants to be a leader in your building, not just from the stance of having an official leadership role, but really being a person who can make changes when it comes to policy and really provide comprehensive support for your caseload. The reason that I am shifting this focus is because so many clinicians struggle with generalization and carryover. So many of them say, you know, I focused on building my clinical skills. I know what to do when I have a student in front of me, but I'm just not getting support across the board. And as a result, my students are struggling to generalize skills across settings. If we are going to make a dent when it comes to generalization and really give students comprehensive support across the day, we need to focus on thinking about other types of service delivery besides just direct treatment. Direct treatment obviously is very powerful, but it's only going to get you so far if your whole team isn't on board with supporting kids. This includes the administrators who are making policies and decisions and who are allocating resources to people in your building. This also includes other professionals, the teachers who need to know what you're working on in therapy, who also need support in learning strategies or just getting support and implementing them, as well as parents who are supporting kids at home. So we really need to think bigger when it comes to our role as clinicians. And part of this means just taking initiative to be that person who actually leads the team in making some of these things happen. So I know that this can be something that's very overwhelming. There's a lot to it. It involves building relationships. It involves knowing how to sell your ideas to people so that they can get 
buy-in for what you're doing. It involves creating resources and finding time to collaborate and train others. So there's a lot to it, but I promise you, you will be way more effective and fulfilled in your work when you learn how to do it the right way. And this is something that can really help you enjoy the work that you do because you actually feel like you're making a difference. It's very frustrating when you are working on something with students, but then you find that they're not carrying it over to other settings. So the key to making that happen is learning how to be a good leader. I have said before, the best therapist doesn't win, the best leader wins. There could be someone who is an amazing therapist, but if they don't know how to get the rest of the team on board, their students just aren't going to do as well as someone who does know how to lead and guide others in addition to having solid clinical skills. So that's why I'm shifting the focus to leadership. Before I get into this episode today, I wanted to mention that I have a program for school clinicians and really any clinician who is working with those school age populations, whether you are an SLP, psychologist, or social worker, and you want to learn a system that's going to help you to build the leadership skills that you need in order to get your entire team on board, as well as find the time to make it happen and really craft your vision for how you want to be a leader in your building. This is exactly what I help people do in the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more about that program, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Today, I wanted to talk about an issue that comes up a lot in professional discussion groups. I see this in groups with SLPs because I am an SLP, but I've also seen this discussion come up among school psychologists, social workers, and other school clinicians. And this is just the idea of just feeling like a lot of the activities that you have to do as a person who works at a school are not relevant to you, but then at the same time, feeling like you're not included as a member of the team. And so this actually goes both ways. So I wanted to just give you kind of a scenario of what I see happening, why I think it's problematic, and how you can navigate this so that you can be a successful clinician within the school setting and also so that you can be seen as a person who is a valuable team member, who is a trusted resource, and so that you can get buy-in from other people that you work with so that you have support to do your job well, so that you feel good about the work that you're doing, but also so that you can look forward to work. Because let's be honest, it's so much easier to do your job if you have support from other team members. And it just makes it so much more enjoyable if you like the people that you work with and you, f you feel valued and respected. But the thing is, is that I see people just going about this in a way that's not super productive. So I wanted to just call that out and share how you can shift your thinking so that you can be more successful as somebody who is working within 
a school setting. And honestly, if you're a private practice clinician, this can be helpful for you as well because if you're working with school-age kids, you're a member of that team as well. And you're going to want to work with those school staff so that you can be a valuable team member and work with the family, work with the school, and really just, you know, have it be kind of a seamless service delivery plan. So the question that comes up a lot, and really the complaint that I hear a lot, is that clinicians feel like they're asked to do things that aren't relevant to them. A lot of it is, this staff meeting doesn't apply to me. This professional development doesn't apply to me. Um, This evaluation that I have to do, you know, my school principal is evaluating me, but they're not a clinician, so they're not qualified to evaluate me as a therapist. And so I wanted to go through those three things one at a time because it all kind of falls under this whole, um, the issue of not feeling included, but also the issue of feeling like this isn't relevant to me. I wanted to start off by talking about the issue of relevancy, and I will use staff meetings for example. So I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, this staff meeting doesn't apply to me. Why do I have to go to this? you know, we need to advocate and, you know, this thing is a waste of time. And the thing is, is that at the same time, those same people are also complaining that they don't feel like they are a valued team member. They feel like they're kind of siloed off and not included. And the thing is, is that if you want to feel like a member of the school team, you need to be a member of the school team. So that means if there is a meeting that is going on, that is going to give you information about things that are going on in the building, um, just even initiatives that are going on when it comes to the curriculum, even if it's not something that you're directly implementing. If you want to be a member of the team, you have to have an idea of what is going on in that district, in your building, at kind of an infrastructure level, and just understand the overall initiative in the building. If you are a therapist, and I will use SLPs as an example, I think that this could apply to other clinicians as well. But when I was a school SLP, I knew that I was focused on things like language, literacy, and language can impact everything. So if there was something academic that was an initiative in the building that was going to be talked about at a staff meeting, at professional development, even if it was something that seemed a little bit tangential, let's say that it was math curriculum. Well, I wasn't directly responsible for doing the math curriculum because I'm not a math teacher. But I also know that language impacts everything, so it could be useful for me to understand what's going on in the building because there's probably a way that I could tie that back to what I'm doing. So the first thing that I want to say there is that you want to make sure that you show up as a team player. You don't want to be seen as this person who kind of just, you know, again, is an outsider and has an attitude of, this doesn't apply to me because chances are there's many times when it actually does, even if you're not directly implementing something. So I would challenge you, if you are a school therapist, if you have that gut feeling of this doesn't apply to me, this isn't relevant, I would sit with that for a minute because it might be actually more relevant than you think, even if you're not responsible for implementing it. 
So let's say with that example of math curriculum, well, a school psychologist who is responsible for doing evaluations, doing therapy sessions with students might need to know if there's something new academic going on. Same with social workers. Social workers are often very integrated on the team as well. So they need to know if there's new initiatives going on. And SLPs, again, a lot of these academic tasks are language related. So if you are somebody who's getting referrals and there is something new going on in your building, you're going to need to know what's going on, even if you're not directly doing it, especially if it is language related. So all of those professions that I just mentioned, school, uh, psych, social work, and SLP, I know that they address language and executive functioning different, but they still need to know what's going on because if there's going to be something new that could result in a flood of referrals, you need to know what's going on in the building. Now, I know depending on how you are assigned to different buildings, you might not be able to attend staff meetings. That might be difficult for you because of you know when you are actually visiting certain districts. But it is very important for you, when at all possible, to make sure that you are keeping an eye on what's going on in the building and communicating in some way to make sure that you know what's going on. The other thing is, is that if you are somebody who is working on some of those skills, again, I go to language and executive functioning. Those are things that need to be integrated within the curriculum across the board. So in order to be able to integrate those skills within the curriculum, you need to know what's going on in the curriculum. The reason that I say that is because many times when we are trying to get buy-in from teachers, for example, a lot of times they might have a lot on their plate. And if we are telling them that they need to do something different in their classrooms, then we may actually be, without realizing it, placing more work on their plate. And we need to present things in a way that takes work off their plate and makes life easier. So there might be times when we might need to develop a deep understanding of what's going on in the building with teachers to know what they're struggling with, because that might be our foot in the door. If we can figure out what's important to them and figure out how we can make what we do important to what's going on with them in their lives, then that is a way that we can start building that relationship and be seen as a valuable person that can help so that when we actually do want to ask them for something or when we want to ask them to change a practice, when we want to ask them for a favor, they are way more likely to do it because they know that we are someone who has provided support in the past. So I would challenge you when you think that something is not relevant, I would challenge you to see if maybe it actually is and to see how you can make what you do relevant to what's going on in that building versus asking people to do it the other way around and accommodate for you. Yes, there might be times when you might need to advocate, when you might need to ask for something, and when they might need to modify what they're doing to make it relevant to what you do, but that's not the best way to lead if you are walking into a building, you want to figure out how to change what you do to fit what they're doing before you start asking for them to 
to change their practices to fit what you do. If we want to lead and build rapport, we have to be the ones that extend that olive branch first before we ask people to do that for us. So the moral of the story here is that, again, if you want to be a team member, you want to figure out how you can be a team member. So that means if you're asked to do different activities in your building that seem irrelevant to you, you take those as opportunities to be a member of that team. If it's just something little like attending a meeting or a professional development, I would Give it a shot before you assume that it's not relevant to you. Obviously, if there's something that you do over and over again and you realize that it's actually taking you away from something important and that it really isn't serving you and your caseload, then it's reasonable to advocate. But I would lead with the assumption that it is relevant and that it is something that's valuable for you to be able to become a member of that team. And again, this could include things like different trainings, um, meetings, things like that, that enable you to just have face time with people in your building. The next thing I wanted to discuss on the topic of relevancy is staff evaluations. So if you work in a school, chances are you might have an administrator that you report to. Oftentimes it is a building principal. Sometimes it might be a special ed director if you are a therapist, but you likely have somebody who is responsible for evaluating your performance. And it is very difficult to find a school administrator. Actually, it's impossible to find a school administrator who has actually done all of the roles of the people they're evaluating. You just won't find that ever. For example, you might have a building principal who was a PE teacher and they're evaluating people who are social studies teachers and speech pathologists and math teachers and reading teachers. So all areas where they did not actually teach. Same with special education. You might have had somebody who was a school psychologist who is evaluating someone who is a special ed teacher, a speech pathologist, a social worker, a counselor, or somebody else who is in a discipline that they didn't actually do themselves. It's just not possible to always be able to find someone who directly links up. So we've got to do the best that we possibly can with the, you know, the staff arrangement within buildings. So one of the complaints that I often hear from clinicians is that they are evaluated by someone who isn't, that they feel is not qualified to evaluate their clinical skills. Now, I am not saying that that complaint has no merit. I would agree that it is very valuable to get feedback from somebody who understands your discipline. But even though I think that, it doesn't mean that I think that the evaluation from the person that you report to doesn't have any value to it. So let me give you the example of what I had when I was in the school system. So I worked for a district as a speech pathologist and I was actually employed by the district. So the school psychologist and the social worker worked for the co-op. So they were evaluated by a special ed administrator from the co-op. But I, as a district employee, was evaluated by my building principal. I also was at one point evaluated by my clinical fellowship supervisor, but that was just during my CF, which is what 
SLPs have to do as part of their national board licensure. So I did have some mentoring from somebody who was a speech pathologist, but I also, for my job and for my employee evaluation, was evaluated by a building principal who did not have a background in speech and language. However, I still felt that that principals, I actually had two different principals who evaluated me at different times, I still felt that their evaluation of me was relevant because as a school therapist, I was not just responsible for delivering effective therapy. Obviously, that was part of what I did, but I was also responsible for a lot of other things besides my clinical skills that involved being a good employee and being a good team member. So for example, my building principal could evaluate how well I was able to work on the problem-solving team and lead IEP meetings and collaborate with other teachers and just show up as a team member in the building and share my ideas with other people, train staff, um, you know, be there as a resource for people to guide them through the special ed eligibility process, communicate with parents during meetings. They also were able to evaluate the way that I interacted with students, the way that I responded to different behaviors, and the way that I accommodated for my students within a session, the way that I ran my sessions, my management of sessions, and all of these other things that go beyond just knowing, you know, this is evidence-based practices for speech and language. All of those things were very important for me to be a successful speech pathologist on that team and in that building. And if I were to have somebody else come in, so for example, if I were to have the, there was a speech coordinator who was also employed through the co-op, who wasn't somebody who was responsible for evaluating me, but was also there as kind of a resource and a mentor, that person actually had less information about my ability to do some of those other things than my building principal. So I still felt like my building principal's evaluation of me was really valuable because they saw the way that I interacted as a leader in that building not just as a speech pathologist. So I really think that as school therapists, and this isn't just for SLPs, this is, would be other therapists as well. I really think that it's important that we value the people in the building and value their skills and their perspectives because a building principal is somebody who sees the bigger picture and sees how you interact on the entire team and that entire ecosystem, not just how you function as a clinician within a therapy session. And that is incredibly valuable. And that is going to make a big difference when it comes to the impact on your caseload. Being able to work within an ecosystem is just as, if not more important than your ability to actually know what therapy techniques are relevant and you know your ability to administer them. Not that those things aren't important, but the other things are really important as well. And if you are somebody who knows the best 
evidence-based practices, but you can't work as a team member, you are going to be limited in the impact that you can make in your building, regardless of you know your job that you have now or if you were to switch to another setting. So all of that is very important. So I would challenge you, if you feel like these people that you're interacting with in the building don't understand you, they probably have other skill sets that you can utilize, that you can learn from, If we want to have people value our perspective and our experience, our expertise, then we have to value their experience and expertise as well. Now, of course, you can, if you're in a situation like I was, get feedback on your specific discipline in other ways if it's not something that is directly provided by your direct supervisor. So I knew that my building principal could evaluate me on a lot of things that would be very helpful to me, but I also know that they aren't a speech pathologist. And so if I wanted some more specific advice and wanted to talk through some of those things, I could look for feedback in other ways. So we would often just as a speech team, sometimes we would have discussions or we would come and observe each other and give each other feedback that way. Again, we had a speech coordinator. So I one time said, hey, you know what? I've got some students. I wanna make sure that I'm on the right track. There's a couple of them. I'd love to have another set of eyes on them to see if I'm you know, thinking through this the right way. I'd love some feedback. I asked her to come and observe me. And so she wasn't observing me as somebody who was going to do my employee evaluation. It was just some peer-to-peer feedback. I just wanted to do my part in knowing that I was on the right track. So that's something that I chose to do. So there are many times where, you know, you might not be in a situation where the person who is directly evaluating you is within your discipline. In fact, that is going to be probably pretty common if you're in the school, but doesn't mean that you can't get that feedback. You just might have to take initiative to get it on your own. But I still think it's very important when it comes to building relationships in your building, gaining respect and buy-in from other people, and being able to get support when you need something from your team, when you need resources, when you want somebody to reinforce something you're doing in therapy. If you're consistently showing up as a team player, as somebody who is helpful and thinking about what other people need to do in the building, and you're coming at it with that attitude, then you're going to be much more successful and it's going to be much more likely that they're going to trust you and listen to what you say. So again, when it comes to relevancy of all these things that we're asked to do that might seem a little bit outside of what we might traditionally think of when we think of our role, I would challenge you to see if maybe it is relevant. If you can take what you do and bring it to that activity rather than and just really approaching it with an attitude of curiosity and just really wondering how you can be of service and how you can be helpful to other people. Because chances are there is a way that you can make it relevant. And if it's not, at least you have a deeper understanding of what is going on in your building and what other people care about so that you can be of service to them. I've said it before and I'll say it again, the best therapist doesn't win, the best leader wins. 
And that's why I created the School of Clinical Leadership. Obviously, clinical skills are so important, but you can be the best therapist in the world if you don't know how to build relationships and share what you do with other people and provide the support and guidance that they need to support your students beyond the therapy room, then you're always going to be limited in your impact. And I know that it can be really overwhelming because we don't necessarily have a roadmap for figuring out how to do all those things to make that happen when it comes to finding time to collaborate with your colleagues, finding time to create training materials, or even just understanding where do I even start if I want to start building a strong relationship with my colleagues and my administrators. Again, that is why I created the School of Clinical Leadership to give you the systems that you need to make that happen. You probably have a huge caseload. Thinking about things like leadership can be really overwhelming, but I promise you, when you learn how to do it the right way, it's possible to do it without burning yourself out, and it will make you so much more effective so that you can finally see the generalization that you've been chasing and really wanting to see with your students so that you can start to see them thrive. Learning how to be a good leader and a good team member and learning how to get your team on board so that you're all moving in the same direction when it comes to supporting kids is going to be key in helping you to make sure that your therapy sessions are focused and really making sure that you are effective in your role as a clinician. This is exactly what I help you do in the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more about the program, all you're going to want to do is go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. You are listening to the De Facto Leaders podcast, and I wanted to remind you that it helps us so much if you leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and also if you share this episode with anyone you think might benefit. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the De Facto Leaders Podcast. <music>